Hey, good morning, church. I love you. I've been praying for you a lot, and um, I'm very open today to what God wants to do and to what the Spirit of God wants to do. Uh, early in the summer, I got out preached by Pastor Tom on the passage in First Peter um, on holiness and putting off the old self and, and, and taking on the new that's uh, made by Jesus in righteousness. And he, he connected First Peter 2 to, to Ephesians, and then I got out preached by uh, Pastor Jeremy. A few weeks ago, then I got outpreached by Mark Walters um, just two weeks ago, and this morning I'm going to get outpreached by uh, Jay Raymond. You're going to get a tag team approach um, this morning, but I'm going to come in a close second, okay? So top two, all right? So I'm up there. Um, but uh, before we do that, um, I just want to take the time that should be taken, first of all, to commend all of you. Uh, thank you um, for your faithfulness to God and His church. Um, but particularly today, uh, I'm thankful for Marcy Van Every and for Diana Overcamp, and really for Pastor Cameron Smith, because he also participated hugely in the day camp that occurred. My, our intern, Ben Aiding, is uh, headed back to Moody uh, Bible Institute for his third year of study there, and he was just fabulous uh, this summer with us and, and being in a support role to so many things. But at if, if you haven't seen, art camp is on display out there in, in our hallway. Uh, day camp also occurred for fourth and fifth graders. And then a family camp that many of you attended occurred last weekend while Daryl and Be Becky Martin were in town, and they visited with you there, and then they came and visited us with us here this past Sunday. But that is exhaustive and hard work to put all of that together through children's ministry. A lot of things take a break during the summer, but children's ministry does not, especially in the, in the, the latter half of the summer of July for art camp and then for day camp and then for family camp. And I just, in the name of Jesus, want to commend Marcy Van Every and Diana Overcamp and all of their teams. There were people for art camp. My own wife taught the entire week of art camp. Uh, Kristen Fanton came in to teach. There were so many people people that I'll forget, all those people who came in uh, to absorb all of the need to serve there. And uh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, first of all, recognize that in children's ministry, we're seeing kids come to Christ. Last summer, Don Bump led a young man to Christ at day camp. This past spring, we, uh, a young lady was led to Christ through big life on Wednesday nights. People make decisions for Jesus many times before they turn 16 years old. And I'm grateful for a children's ministry that is putting the gospel out there. In fact, I am serving today in third, fourth, and fifth grade class this, uh, when we make the turn to the second hour. So third graders, fourth graders, fifth graders, we're talking about the invincibility of God. And we're going to look at three different passages in the book of Revelation. So I'm stoked to be there with you. I can't wait to get down there with you. We've got a cool game that we're going to play at the beginning. My wife's going to be right by my side with maybe, I guess, maybe my daughter as well um, in that capacity uh, teaching there. And I would ask you, what is God asking you to do to partner with his church here? If we had those three goals that we presented to you on July the 22nd, where we said, here's where we're going. Here's where elders have concluded after they came, arrived in January and came back and said, we're about knowing Christ and making him known. What's the first impl implementation of that? We want everyone in the word. Today, you can go back to that Bible study journal that we distributed this summer. You can go right back to 1 Peter chapter 4 and start taking your 
your notes there and finish out the summer in the Bible study journal. We'll replace it on the 9th of September when we head into our series on the book of Acts called Church Starts Now. Throughout the year, without any breaks, we will be providing you with the study material to be in the Word of God with us and for us all to be on the same page in the Word of God. That was number one. Number two... Uh, it, number one was get in the Word. The number two was to do life together. And those opportunities are coming real quick here as we close out the summer. We will have a big potluck event on the 9th where we're inviting all of you to come with your desserts and your salads, I believe. Maybe to enjoy uh, some cornhole afterward if you want to stick around, but just to have rich fellowship together. But to be introduced to all of the adult life, youth, and children's classes that we have here for an abbreviated amount of time. And then to head in. We don't want anyone to leave that Sunday, but it just would be a full fellowship Sunday and an opportunity for you to bring any guests that you want to bring to church that Sunday. We will enfold and embrace them. But we want to do life together, which means even our small groups ministry of community life groups will be giving a presentation on the 16th for anybody who wants to join up with Group Link and do life together. We want everyone connected in the church. And the third was to seek God's face in worship and prayer. And that's where I put it before you today. Where is God calling you to seek God's face in worship and prayer to join what God wants to do right here in First Baptist Church of Zealand? Today, I thank God for Marcy Van Every and for Diana Overcamp and the children's ministry teams that they put together both Wednesday nights, Sunday mornings, and even for all of those camps that they do. It's exhausting of work, and they should be commended. And so I have, oh, quite honestly, even now, I don't think they're even in the room because they're doing children's ministry right now. Is one of them here? They're both here. Praise God. Okay. Many times they're not even in the room because, the, I, yeah, and, and so, yeah. Do what, do what the Spirit of God tells you to do for them. I don't know if they're free for lunch or what, but uh, do what the Spirit of God tells you to do for them. But I'm, I'm taking this encouragement card. This, is, this one's mine, and I'm going to fill it out, and I'm going to thank them, and I'm also going to tell them that I will continue to partner with them. When they have a, a space that needs to be filled, I'm going to enthusiastically partner with what they're trying to do with that curriculum. And I even have handouts for all of the moms and dads when, when the kids leave to give back to the mom and dad so they can continue to discuss the passages that we're going to study here this morning. You can fill it out and you can encourage them and say, way to go, you rock like granite. You can say whatever you want to, or you can say, I want to join God in what he's doing in children's ministry. Just give me a call. Let me know what I can do for you. How encouraged would they be if you did that? They would be so encouraged. All right? And it's about time. We took a pause and we said something like that this morning. Thank you for your claps, but also take your hands and feet all the way to the children's ministry and uh, help them out. Grab that enc encouragement card right now. Grab it. Pull it out of the front pew. No, no, I meant you. I meant you and I meant you and you and you. Grab it. Get your pen ready to go afterwards, and then you can slip it into one of the joy boxes in the back. All right? Um, great. Now, we're going to get into 1 Peter chapter 4. And as has become our custom, we're going to stand for the reading of God's Word. And our reader of Scripture this morning is Elder Jay Raymond. Jay, will you come up? Please stand. So we're in 1 Peter chapter 4, 
um, verse 12 through 19. And the word says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. Mm. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Thank you, Jay. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. That's God's word. So, all right, now I want you to do something that Jay did. All right, just, just, just do this. All right, finish out this verse. For God so loved the world, believes in him. Okay, you just did what people groups in 42 nations across the world cannot do. You just did what people, people groups that... Daryl and, and, and Becky told us about last, last Sunday, cannot do. Speak the word of God aloud. Make the word of God known. Can't do it. And they're training up these people to go into that 1040 window where 3.1 billion people exist and need to be reached with the gospel so that they can bring the word of God in places like that. You are privileged to be where you are today, hearing the word of God today, and able to present the word of God to others today. And the challenge that we're going to have this morning in this little tidbit, I'm just going to kind of give you a homily this morning in this passage, and this little tidbit is, is to choose is to choose to believe, just as God's Word concludes this morning, that there is no time to not trust God. There is no time to not do the will of God, and there is no time to stop doing good. That if we trust God's sovereign will, there's never a time that we need to reject that. There's never a time that we need to shut down, but instead we need to trust our faithful creator and continue to do good. This is ordained suffering. It's what it's worth that Peter is going to come to a concluding challenge in verse 19 when he says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And we'll break that verse down. I'm going to take you from the back to the front today because I want you to get that one verse. It's going to be our memorization verse for the month of August. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. The first part of that is continue to suffer for the will of God. You see, there is God-appointed and God-anointed suffering. Did you hear that, church? There is God-appointed and God-anointed suffering. There is. Suffering of which God approves. Suffering that God saw way before we saw it coming. That God was prepared for. That God planned for. There is God appointed and there is God anointed suffering. It's the will 
of God. Now, Peter makes sure that he tells his hearers with a contrast right there in the middle of this passage that there are only certain certain appointments by the will of God to suffering. One of those that's not an appointment is the senseless suffering by picking my own fight with my sin. He says, look, don't suffer because you're a thief or a murderer or a meddler. Don't do that. In other words, hey, don't, don't send your way into suffering, right? Even lost people, even the unbeliever in a watching world can see a person rob a bank and say he needs to go to jail. That person gets that. He gets it. He can understand when somebody does something wrong, like, like beat up someone else, they ought to be arrested. They ought to be, they ought to be stopped from what they're doing, and they ought to be punished for that. The world gets that. But what the world is just absolutely wondrously amazed by is when someone suffers unjustly for his God. That's what really gets the world's attention. And so, Peter is going to conclude by saying, suffer according to God's will. And the second of all is going to say, trusting your soul to God. And so Peter's going to reach into this deep, deep part of your person, the soul. The word soul is used five times in the book of 1 Peter. Only the gospel of Luke says the word soul more in the New Testament than 1 Peter does. Peter is very interested in us understanding that the depth of our being, at the root of our being, where our soul experiences the work of God's glorious spirit, where our soul trusts, where our soul believes we ought to trust in our faithful creator. Trusting God is a great part of being peculiar in a culture that creates unholy, supportive, and very easy gods. See, Peter laid it all out for us. He, he said, look, you're a peculiar people. He called you elect exiles very early on, just in his greeting. He called you elect exiles. And then in chapter 2, he called you a holy nation, a priesthood of believers. And then he said, you're chosen stones built along the cornerstone, who is Jesus Christ, so that you now house the Almighty. You are God's house there. You are a very peculiar people that is completely and totally surrendered to the God, the one God, Messiah, Jesus Christ. You're a peculiar people, and you can continue to show how strange you really are in this culture by trusting your soul to God. You can do that. We're very strange, but that makes us capable of super natural things by faith, like trusting God from the deepest parts of our being, from our very souls. When I was up at Bon Clark in the camp that I told you about where I was at Johnny and Friends, there's a guy who lives on a house that's almost at the crest of the highest hill where this giant uh, mansion house from 150 years ago exists. And he lives in just this simple red ranch house that's on this hill. And a lot of retired pastors, retired missionaries, other families live there. And whenever we go there to Johnny and friends, we see him, his daughter, his son-in-law, and their grandchildren and their dogs. And they're always on the front porch. And they're just enjoying that camp for themselves. They're not a part of Johnny and friends. They live there. This man lives there with his wife, and he brings his family there in the summertime. And so I always take the time to go over to his front porch to visit with him, to catch up with him, to ask how his daughter and her children are doing, to say hey to his dog, because, you know, dogs have to like me. And so I do that. 
And uh, we had another wonderful conversation. And, and uh, two days later, while I'm helping um, this fella named Josh, who's 39 years old, um, Josh has uh, multiple disabilities. Um, but one of the things that he loves to do is to go into the pool and baptize people. He goes, baptize, baptize, go baptize today, baptize. And uh, so, yeah, so I served by getting baptized nine times by Josh in the swimming pool on that Wednesday, okay? All right? And uh, I, I, I don't mean to act like I'm special or anything, but no one got baptized more than me. But anyway, anyway, so this man's there with his children and his grandchildren. And, and so they began to interact with some of the um, adult children of disability and the smaller children of disability there. And so the next day... The campus, the whole campus coordinator, the El Jefe of the entire campus, his name is Chip, he pulls up in a golf cart and he says, where are you going? And I said, well, I'm going over here. And he goes, come on, ride with me. And we hadn't had any time for two years to fellowship, and so we did. We had two minutes there, and we drove by that house, that red ranch house, and I said, that guy, that's a quality guy. Man, he was playing with his grandchildren in the swim pool. He's got to be like 78, 79 years old. He's just awesome. And he pays such great compliments. He says, he says, Clint, we can't wait for Johnny and friends to get here every year so we can just watch all this glorious stuff happen right in front of us. And I told that to Chip, and Chip said, Clint, you don't know, do you? And I said, no, I don't know. He said, he's dying of pancreatic cancer. I said, what do you mean? He goes, he told the doctors, no more meds, no more chemo. It's too far gone. I said, well, what is he doing here? He said, He's being the same guy that he would be if he didn't have pancreatic cancer. He's loving his family. He's loving his wife. He's living to the end. You suffer according to God's will, and you trust your soul to God. And how do you do that? By doing good. By doing God. God, by doing good. Doing good when good even taunts you, right? Evil's coming your way. Suffering's coming your way. And you're even taunted by the good that you're doing for others. You're getting bad, but God is asking you to dish good. That's the challenge of 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. To continue to suffer for the will of God, trusting your soul to God by doing good. Peter is saying that there is never a time to reject God's will to abandon trust, or to stop doing good. The ups, the downs, and the middles of our lives are secure when we obey our Father. And our souls even can be purified by that fiery trial that comes upon us that Jay read in verse 12. Brothers, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when a fiery trial comes upon you as if something strange has happened to you. Why does Peter say that? Because when that trial comes, it's by the will of God. God's prepared, prepared you for it. He's going to sustain you through it. He's going to glorify himself in it. So don't be surprised. No, no, have the kind of faith, have the kind of sound theology that says, nope, God knew about this. God planned for this. God can use me in this, and I'm going to obey him in it. That's why Peter says that. And you're about to hear from a man who did not ask. He didn't ask for what he got, but he chose. He chose anyway. So as we head through those conclusions about suffering, let's just pause for just a second and admit to God that we have had times where we have been suffering averse, right? Where we have been more about comfort and convenience. 
It's not just about being countercultural. It's about being counterintuitive. No one here, if suffering struck you right now, would say, this is good. It's counterintuitive. We have said, I don't deserve this. I'm not taking this. I won't take it any longer. We have been grass is greener somewhere else people, and we've exhausted ourselves searching for that rather than remaining and obeying. Our trust has faltered. My trust has faltered. Our trust has failed. My trust has failed. And I would be the first one here to admit that, God, sometimes I just don't like your will. I don't like it. Sometimes I don't want to do your will. Sometimes I don't really want to live from the depth of my soul. I want to live from the surface of my flesh. But Peter says, look, here's some conclusions. All right, that was the challenge at the end. But here are the conclusions that you come to about suffering for God's will. He says, beloved, don't be surprised. And then he goes on in verse 13, but rejoice instead that you may also be glad when God's glory is revealed. Verse 14, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. You can just go right to the conclusions. I'm, I'm getting out of the way for Jay. You can just go right to conclusions there. Thank you. All right? Um, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For the time for judgment begins with us. What is he saying there, okay? In other words, we aren't being judged completely right here and right now, but we're the kind of people that have correct theology, and we know that a judgment day is coming. So we have the opportunity to purify ourselves daily with the great theology that we have about our God and our Savior, that a holy God one day is going to judge everyone. People who are ignorant of that holy God don't have that ability for preparation and purification for that day. So when it says that the time of judgment begins with us, it's because we can look at it in ourselves and we can decide we know what God wants and we can choose it. We can make the decision to glorify God. We can be purified is what it's saying there. And so here's one of the things that suffering from God's, for God's will does. It speaks to the conscience of the unbeliever. There is needless, senseless suffering, and then there is meaningful, anointed suffering. And even people who do not yet recognize God, they understand suffering for doing wrong. For doing wrong. They get that. They get the bank robber theory. It's when you suffer for no wrong that you send a tremendous message so people who witness unjust suffering, they get a heightened sense of something being wrong. And they're seeing sin up against a God who was worth following even into suffering. And they go, hmm. And they get a heightened sense of conviction of their own sin and their own wrong. And they ask themselves, how might I be judged? I told you one time about the, the first viewers of the Jesus film in countries where multimedia does not exist, where they will go into these places, into these buildings, and they'll set up the Jesus film, and they'll show it in the people's language, and they'll watch the film. And when they get to the part where Jesus is being spat upon, where he's being flogged, where he's being whipped, when he's being taken to a cross, they're so angry at those evildoers, they want to go out and find those people and take care of them. It speaks to the conscience of the unbeliever when you suffer unjustly, just as Christ did. 
It speaks. Listen to Philippians 1, 27 and 28. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction. Do you see that? This is a clear sign to them of their destruction. What do they see? They see, wait a second, something right. Their sin here, and invincible God is pressing this person along in spite of the fact that we, by our own power, are trying to stop it, and we can't do that. It's a clear sign of their own destruction, but of your salvation, and that you're, you've truly been delivered by God because you can't get pushed or persuaded from the will of God. It's beautiful. It speaks to the conscience of the believer. Unstoppable, invincible, shows up in people who suffer. Unstoppable, invincible God shows up in people who suffer. Second of all, it purifies the soul's devotion. The Scripture says, if insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed for the spirit of glory rests upon you. Now, hear clearly what Peter is saying. Peter has always been talking about us being a peculiar people, being very strange people. And, and this adds to your strangeness because you're going to have a special, special accompaniment of God's spirit in suffering. It's a spirit of glory. It's a spirit that actually allows that believer in his suffering to see the end from the beginning, to know that reward is coming, to know that ultimate judgment will come from God, that God's going to make all things right that are wrong right now. There's a unique, special accompaniment for those who suffer for righteousness' sake. Stephen said in Acts chapter 7, I see the Lord. I see the Lord in his suffering. It turns hearts towards glory. It sets them into a blessed state of so trusting in the God of hope that they can taste the sweet triumph of God even before it arrives. Not only does it do that, but it prepares us to glory in the great plans of God. It prepares us to glory in the great plans of God. And I'm going to skip again here, Chad, and just put 1 Peter 3.18 up there. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, Peter says, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Okay, so what Peter does in that glorious verse just there is he says that it is through suffering that victory comes. Folks, we are people that have entered into relationship with God through suffering. Suffering is a part of our identity. It's who we are. We had a Savior who suffered for us. We have one who was willing to take all of our sins and our shame upon himself and suffer for us. That's what happened. So that's who we are. We identify with that, and that prepares us for the glorious plans of God because the gospel is there will be suffering for a time, and then what? glory. And then what? Victory. And then what? The champion Jesus Christ will rule the entire universe and put everything under his feet. Suffering isn't the end. It's the beginning. I'm going to conclude with this. You ready? Just to bring it to our hearts today, 
Down there at Johnny and Friends, at lunch, I went over to these families. They have these wings that are quieter. You're supposed to be quieter in these wings. And many times it's, uh, it's with uh, people that have autism and they have sensory deprivation disorder or, or multisensory disorder or something like that also that, uh, that really conflicts with their brain trying to take in everything that's going on. And there's a whole lot of joy and there's a whole lot of noise because somebody might just scream out loud or laugh out loud or cry out loud or um, spill something. Uh, there's just a lot of distractions. And so I went over. There were two wheelchair users. Over here was Zach, and Zach is five years old. And Zach um, has a chromosomal disorder where a part of his chromosome tore off. And it's not a disorder or a syndrome that anybody would, would recognize. One in 18 million people have what he has. Okay? And then over here is Caden, and he has multiple disabilities. And Caden was adopted as, a, as a, a child of disability that was adopted, and he is a wheelchair user. And uh, he has really only about two-thirds of his brain. And uh, so his brain didn't develop, and so he has all kinds of issues, and he has a feeding tube. Um, but you can communi only communicate with Caden really by touch or by the softness of your voice. So I go over there because these are both new families, and I want to meet them. And I first meet Zach. And Zach is nonverbal. Uh, he can make noise. He makes noise. He laughs a lot and, and grunts a lot, but he doesn't form words. But Zach's favorite thing to do is to look at you and to grin, and he just grins all the time. And if he holds your grin, then he'll do something like this. He'll be smiling at you, and he'll just go like that. And so I said, well, I can do that. I can do that, Zach. Watch me. Like that. And then he would go, like that. And well, then I'd match him right back, <laughs> like that, right? And so I'm starting to build a relationship with Zach over here. His mother's telling me his story and how he was born. But over here with this adopted child, Caden, all right, I start to rub his elbow. And then about four minutes into rubbing his elbow, um, his mom says, he's really liking that. You need to just keep doing, doing that. And I said, okay, great. And she said, are you ready to rub his head? And I said, yeah, yeah. And she said, well, he really likes that. But the reason why she asked me if I was ready to rub his head is because his head is dented. His head isn't round like ours. It's not a smooth surface. It, there are valleys in his cranium. And it's a little strange to rub his head. It's just... And so I find myself in a place where I've never been in 49 years making faces with a five-year-old in a wheelchair over here and rubbing the head of a six-year-old in a wheelchair over here. And I'm like, man, I am stuck. And the whole time that I am here in this place, I'm going, I'm thinking about my next message. And I finally even said, God, I got so much I got to do. I got to prepare for the next message. And all this is this really where you want me to be. And it's clear as heaven has been about all the revelation I've ever received about Jesus Christ, I heard, yes, absolutely. Because when you meet God right there in suffering, there's a purifying work that happens. There's a glorious thing that occurs. And I said, okay, God, then I choose to do this. And then at 1.30, the cleanup people said, y'all got to get up out of here. So I finally, finally, I just did it until they told us we had to leave. And we left. 
And all I want to tell you is, I met Jesus there. There are places, there are places where you have not wanted to go, and Jesus wants to meet you there. There are hardships that you don't want to face, and Jesus is willing to meet you there. There is glory that you have not experienced yet, and Jesus wants to meet you there. Okay. I set them up. You knock them down. So it's going to be harder than I thought. Um, But there's a disclaimer that I need to start with, and that is this. I'm a heart patient. I have this lovely belt on that keeps me going, and I'm okay, all right? So I'm going to gesture. I'm going to walk. I'm going to move around. I may get out of breath. I'm okay, all right? So for those of you who want to run up here and rescue, don't. I'm okay, all right? I came in here Friday, and um, I was working with pastor and kind of reading over my testimony and what I want to say and all that kind of stuff. We were in the auditorium, and I was talking. I didn't have a headphone on. Um, Nobody was here. You guys weren't here. And uh, i got to say it's a lot different this morning, a lot different with people here. A lot of people sitting out here, so um, excuse my nervousness a little bit this morning. So my name is Jay Raymond, and just like all of you within the sound of my voice, I am somebody that Jesus died for, and I'm somebody that Jesus loves. Pastor and others have been able to get up here and give an um, update, as it were, on my health where I was at. I was in the hospital for quite some time and that type of thing. And um, like I said a little bit ago, um, I have heart condition. And the truth of the matter is, I need a new heart. That's what this comes down to. I know I'm talking to people that have new hearts because of the cross. And I got to tell you, I'm pretty excited to be standing up here giving my own update this time. This is, this is really a blessing. Um, Today, I want to share part of my story with you, um, things that God has done in my life. And um, I have to say my family, Colleen, Jacob, and I have experienced a humbling and a life-changing experience. Today, I want to share with you some of that journey um, that God sent us on. But more importantly, I want to share with you some of the important lessons I've learned that have constantly led me back to him. We have been overwhelmed by the number of visits, cards, notes, text messages, phone calls, and communication we have received. And we've been blessed by people making us meals, helping us move, prepping and seating our lawn, and certainly the outpouring of love that we have felt. It's been comforting to be cared for so fully and wonderfully, not only by Christ, but also by the body here at first. So thank you. Thank you for being a great example of the church of Jesus. My brother lives in Tampa, Florida, and the only information he gets is from talking to myself, my dad, my sister, just our family, and that type of stuff. And he was up here um, a few weeks ago, 
and visiting, and um, he commented on the care that we had received from, from our church. He was amazed at how, how well we were cared for and everything that had happened. Even from somebody who was 1,200 miles away, he was amazed at what was going on. What a testimony you have been as a church. Maybe you've not been able to do anything but pray. And I have to say, wow, what a blessing. You went to the creator of the universe. You went to the mighty God who didn't only create everything, but he did it just by speaking. You talked to the Alpha and the Omega, the creator of man, my favorite. You talked to the greatest physician ever. The one who called Lazarus out of the grave. The one who cares about every aspect of our life. The same one is alive and doing his will today. And this is the one that you talked to on my behalf? Thank you. Thank you. Keep it up, not only with me, but also with others who are having maybe a health issue, a family issue, a spiritual issue, any of those type of issues. We are called to be the body of Christ. And let me tell you, when one part suffers, sometimes the whole body suffers. Try living without a heart for five minutes. Tell me how that works. It doesn't. But the body is an amazing thing. We have certain things in our body that we have two of. Um, and sometimes we can live without one of them. Take the lungs, for instance. And trust me, I looked this up on Google, and Google never lies, right? So take this, for instance. If you lose a lung, you can survive the rest of your life with only one lung. One of the things that I looked up yesterday and it said, the one lung that you have left will actually expand and take over part of the area for the lung that's missing. It's possible to do that. But there are other parts that applies to, but not the heart. The heart is the only one you have. So be the heart of the church in somebody's life. God sees needs in the church, and when his people step up, like in my case, to be his hands and his feet, it pleases our Heavenly Father. You never know what that may mean for eternity. Don't we want to please our Heavenly Father? In every aspect of our life, and everything that we do in our life, that should be our main goal. I mentioned the cards that we received um, and one of them was especially touching, and it was uh, handmade. It was from a young person here at church. Um, on the front of it, they had written a simple but a strong admonition, and it said, trust in the Lord. What a passage to share. What strong words from Scripture. Trust in the Lord. That's what it said. There it is. Not only did they put it on a card, but they also included it on a note card. And that note card traveled with me everywhere I went in the hospital. Trust in the Lord was all it said on it. Man, what, what, a, what a benefit, what a blessing that was. After commenting on the card to this person's parents, um, another item showed up, and that was a set of three-by-five cards that were all the same. They said, trust in the Lord. That was the first one in there. But there were other verses attached. Verses like Isaiah 41.10. says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 
Another passage was Deuteronomy 3.18. It says, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Do not fear or be dismayed. Hmm. There were many other meaningful passages that I got. Um, What an encouragement to read these cards day after day while sometimes not even being able to get out of my hospital bed. How many people that came into my room saw the card on the wall or saw my three-by-five card that I was reading and read those words, trust in the Lord? How wonderful it was to share this with other people. How many people wondered about it? How many people were encouraged by that? What is the verse that you hold on to when times don't go your way? When it's trouble, there's times of quiet in your life. One of the verses that was included, and this is absolutely one of my favorite verses, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And a lot of you are probably quoting it in your head, but we'll read it. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Man, what a word from scripture, huh? These words, let him just wash over your heart. Let him just speak to your soul. Let him just speak to you where you are right now. We find tremendous rest in here, don't we? I mean, come on, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Well, that's a special passage. Lean not to your own understanding. Lord, I don't understand what's going on, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Wow, what a passage. The word says, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. When I was growing up as a teenager, a lot of times people would use that passage and say, well, you see the next step that's in front of you because that's all you really need to see, isn't it? And if you're really trusting in the Lord, that is all you really need to see. All right, Lord, I'm going to take this next step. But you know what, as humans, what, what do we do? We, we shift that a little bit, don't we? Well, Lord, I, I kind of want to see the next step and then show me the next step. And let me see about two or three steps, right? Pretty soon it's, Lord, let me see to about pew number five. Why? Because we want to be in control. We don't really want to trust. Well, Lord, there's an obstacle out there that I can see. There's something out there that you put in my way, and I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to have to go through that. When I began my journey, if someone had came to me in January and said, Jay, this is what's going to happen to you this year, I'd have been like, let me find a path around this. What can I do to get around this? I don't want to have to go through this in my life. But that's not what God calls us to do. That's not where he calls us to be. He calls us to obey. Trust in the Lord. I want to see the reward before I'm willing to take the risk. Don't I? I want to see what God has for me. What's the reward? What's the end of this, Lord? What do you have for me? What am I going to gain 
by being a heart patient? What am I going to gain by, by living through this experience? What am I going to gain? I want to see the reward before I take the risk. We all do that, don't we? We want to know what it's, that it's worth it. We want to know that we can trust the one asking us to submit to his will in our life. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. This is a great verse, isn't it? We quote it a lot. This is a verse that shows the character of God. How does he care for us? How does he love us? Are you fully trusting in God today? It's easy to say when we're sitting in our pew and, and we got on all the right stuff and everything went well and we made it to church. It's easy to say when you're the one standing, looking into the hospital bed. But it's hard to say when you're the one laying in the hospital bed. Do we really trust in the Lord? Early on in our journey, Colleen and I had to fill out an advanced directive. And for those of you that don't know what that is, um, it's an acknowledgement of the fact that when you cannot speak for yourself, someone else will speak for you. Talk about trust. I said that to somebody the other day, and they said, boy, you better be in a great relationship with your wife if you're going to sign that one, right? Tough to do when you're laying in the hospital bed and the doctors have told you that you need more than medicine to fix your heart. On the first Saturday, I was in the hospital. Um, it was early in the day. Nobody was around yet. Um, I picked up the directive, and I started reading through it and filling it out. I would highly recommend that you not wait until that moment to fill out that, that, that item. But we had. That night, I remember laying in bed. And thinking about that. I'll be honest with you, it scared me. To know that you had filled out a document like that that could be used fairly soon, that was a daunting thing. I remember praying about that and realizing it was time. Because you see, I hadn't let those words just sink into my heart and into my life. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. I'd not been trusting like I should have. I told my brother later that I didn't care what happened to me. But I was trusting in God. And I wanted his name to be praised. Again, easy to say when you're not the one laying in the hospital bed, but challenging when you are. Can you say the same thing in your life? God, let your name be praised in every circumstance in my life. The word says in Psalm 113.3, From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Psalm 148.13, it says, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. And I got an extra one here. It's 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or what 
whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Oddly enough, there's one memory that was very clear from the week I woke up from my surgery. The rest of the time, um, I wasn't quite with it. Um, was struggling. I was on a lot of medicines and everything like that. Um, if you want to hear those stories, you have to ask my wife or somebody that came and visited that week. Um, I've been reminded that the first words that I said to my wife was, I feel silly, which I did. Funny enough, that's not what I remember saying first, but that's okay. It's all right. Um, but back to the one thing I remember with absolute clarity. I've been sedated for about four days at this point. And each day they were trying to lightly wake me up and turn down the breathing machine to see if I would breathe on my own. They tried it Saturday, it didn't work. Tried it Sunday, again, no luck. Tried it Monday, still nothing. But Tuesday, I remember. I don't know why, but I remember. I remember kind of waking up and knowing that there were people in my room. I couldn't quite make out who it was. I couldn't see who was there, but I knew one of them was calling. I knew it with absolute certainty. All the other people in the room didn't matter, not one bit. I know somebody was asking me questions. I don't even know what they were asking me. All I wanted to do was talk to my wife. That's it. I remember trying to see who was talking, but I couldn't because in my mind, and this is where the medicine kicks in a little bit, the room was full of trees. Now, obviously, I, didn't, I wasn't in a hospital room full of trees. And they weren't like huge trees, but they were good-sized trees, you know. And I was trying to see who it was that was talking, and I just couldn't make it out. I couldn't see this person because of all the trees in my room. Now, obviously, that's part of the loopy part of the story here, but that's what happened. I couldn't make out who it was, but every question they asked, I had the same answer. I want to talk to my wife. Another question from this mystery person, another answer. I want to talk to Colleen. Come on, this is simple. A third time now, and now I'm getting frustrated, and I'm sure they were too. All I wanted to do was talk to my wife. Nothing else mattered at the time. That's all I wanted. I thought if they had, asked, if they had had Colleen ask, ask the questions, probably would have paid better attention. I remember thinking they could give me something to write on and I could communicate better. See, it comes down to the same thing. All I wanted was to talk to my wife. The fact is, your heart holds on to the most important things in your life. Now let me change this a little bit. When was the last time you wanted to talk to God so badly, it was all you could think about? It was all-consuming. It was the only answer you had for everything in your life. Man, I've, I've been able to spend some time with God lately and how good it is. 
And I would encourage you, don't wait until you're in the hospital. Don't wait until you're desperately in need and then go to him. Oh, he's going to be there. But he wants a relationship with you also. I didn't develop a relationship with my wife just by marrying her and then just coming to her and telling her what I need or what I wanted, right? That's not how that works. I developed one by being there and living with her, talking to her about everything that was going on. And let me tell you, we talked a lot. God bless her for listening sometimes. We lived through many life experiences together. One of my nurses gave me a book to read while I was in the hospital. And the book was Love Does by Bob Goff. Um, there's one, one quote I want to share with you out of it. and It says, I think God sometimes uses the completely inexplicable events in our lives to point us towards him. We get to decide each time whether we will lean in towards what is unfolding and say yes or back away. The folks who were following Jesus in Galilee got to decide the same thing each day because there was no roadmap, no program, and no certainty. All they had was this person, an idea, and an invitation to come and see. Early on in my stay, I got to make that same decision, and it was big. It was a daily decision that I have to make, and I made it then, and I have to make it even now. Am I willing to lean in and trust God, or do I choose to back away and either trust in myself or something else that I can find? I am so thankful to stand here this morning and tell you that I decided to lean in. It is easy in this situation to ball up in a corner and be angry with what is happening. I didn't understand it. And I didn't like it. And frankly, it hurt a lot. But my God was there with me. And was he ever faithful? I may never know the words that he had me say that might have helped or encouraged someone. When you're lying in a bed and the only people you talk to are the ones that come through your door, your prayers change. Your private and your public life Merge, and you are intentional in every conversation that you have. What will you do when that time comes for you? I'm not suggesting you're going to go through a heart issue. I'm not suggesting that you're going to go through what I went through. But what will you choose? Will you choose to lean in? To lean into what God really has for you? Or will you choose to back away? Jim Dennison puts it best when he says the following about your public and private life aligning for Christ. He said, here's the good news. If we choose to make our personal character our highest priority and ask the Father to make us more like his Son, he will. If we measure ourselves by the fruit of the Spirit and ask the Spirit to manifest them more fully in our lives, he will. As our public and our private life align, we leave behind the internal dissonance that comes from being two people. We experience the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, Philippians 4, 7. And others are drawn to the Christ they see in us. Randy Phillips from Phillips, Craig, and Dean 
says, frankly, I stand amazed at the unfathomable complexity of God's wisdom and God's knowledge. How could man ever understand his reasons for action or explain his methods of working? For, and he quotes Romans eleven thirty three through 36, who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who is first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? For him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. I'm just beginning to get that. And I know I'm not there yet. But I have trusted in him and I have seen his faithfulness in this situation. If he can help me and be totally trustworthy in my circumstance, he can be in yours. The only decision you have to make is, will you lean in? Will you submit to what he is doing in your life? Or will you back away?